end, I think two more sermons and we're done with Joseph's life. So, um, and, and two more chapters, that's, we're end of, you know, that's Genesis, right? So we're toward, going towards the end of Genesis. And now we're at a place, a chapter where um, chapter 48 and 49 is about the death of Jacob, Joseph's father. So when this passage is taking place, um, Jacob is a young age of 140 years old. He's 140 years old, right? He's young compared to Abraham, I think, who lived to be like 200 years old or something, right? Like he's a young and compared to the age of his forefathers, but 140 years old is no spring chicken, right? So he's old and he's frail and he's blind and he's at his deathbed. So one of, I suppose, one of his brothers or one of, one of Joseph's brothers or one of the servants went to Joseph and told Joseph how ill his father was. And so perhaps these are the last few moments of his life. So because I think Joseph sensed that these were the last moments of his father's life, so he brought his two boys who were born in the land of Egypt, Manasseh, the firstborn, and Ephraim, the secondborn. And with his boys, he goes to visit his father one last time. That's the last time he's going, I think he's going to meet his father in this earth. So Joseph, Jacob hears that his boys, his, his son is here. So he sat up and he began to speak to them. Imagine you, because one day you'll be there. Imagine you lived a really good life, like you guys are living right now. You guys are in Innova Fairfax Hospital. Yay, right? Best hospital in the world. Hey, Rebecca, right? And you are in the master suite, because Rebecca will be running the hospital by then. And she gets special suite, presidential suite members for Embrace members. So you're sitting in, in a hospital bed, in a VIP suite section of Fairfax and Nova. All your children are gathered before you. These are the last moments of your life. What will you say? Will you say, go commanders? Will you say, divest Netflix, buy Hulu? What will you say? I would imagine if it's the last moment of your life, you'll say to your descendants, the most important thing you realize about life, right? That, I mean, hopefully, if you're, if you're of sane mind, that's what you'll say. You will tell your descendants the most important thing that you think what life is about life. What were the first words that Jacob told his son and his grandchildren? Verse 3. He said, God Almighty appeared to me in Lutz, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me. The very first thing that Jacob says to his children, he's sharing his experience. He's sharing his encounter with God when he was a teenage boy. What exactly happened to Jacob 
at the land of Lutz when he was a teenager. Jacob encounters God personally when he's running away from Esau, his brother. Remember your Sunday school lesson, right? Jacob wanted his brother's blessing because his brother Esau was the oldest child. And historically, oldest children get the most blessings, inheritance, right? Good for you, oldest children. So jelly of you. Jacob was jealous of this. So Jacob tricked his father and received the blessing, right? But he tricked his father. He tricked his father, and his father blessed Jacob rather than Esau. When Esau, who was a big, burly man of action, heard what his little brother did, heard that his little brother sold his birthright, he wanted to kill Jacob. Remember, Esau was a hunter. He's the guy living in a compound in Montana, having, you know, he has an armory of weapons. He kills bears for a living. Taking someone's life is not an issue for Esau. When he heard what his little brother did, he wanted to kill his little brother. And Joseph, I'm going to say Jacob, not a big man, he ran. He ran towards his uncle Laban's place. On his journey there, he stopped by this place called Lutz. And he fell asleep. He, he was so tired, he, he slept. He took a stone as a pillow. Because, you know, you, you got to have your head elevated, right? You can't sleep. You're not an animal, right? You need to have your head elevated, right? So he, he used a pillow, a stone as a pillow, and he slept. In the dream. God visits him in the dream. In the dream, he dreams of a ladder that's, con that's connecting the earth to heaven. And angels are going back and forth from that, from, in that ladder. As he's looking at the ladder, he heard the voice of God. And he says, behold, in verse 4, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you a company of people and will give the land to your offspring. So he saw, he sees a ladder in the vision. And God says, I will make your offspring into a great nation. What in the world does this dream mean? What this dream mean is, means is this. God is telling Jacob, through your, through your descent, God is going to connect heaven and earth. God is going to personally dwell amongst human beings in this world. That's what the ladder stands for. Jacob's descendants will be the ladder through which God himself will dwell with humanity in the world. That's what the, that's what the ladder means. Comprende, por favor? Right? That dream means, he's God is telling Jacob, I'm building a new humanity in the world. Rest of humanity is corrupt. They're sinful. They're going to be judged and destroyed. I'm building a new humanity. Your descendants are going to be the first fruits of that new humanity, where I will dwell with them personally.
So Jacob will be the forefather. He will be the George Washington of a new humanity where God personally will dwell in this earth. Jacob never forgot about this dream. Jacob never forgot this personal encounter with God. That's why when he's 140 years old, the first thing that Jacob shares to his son and his grandchildren are is this encounter with God. From that, from the moment of that dream, I think it was like 17 or something, from that moment on, Jacob belonged to God. That's why the first words out of his mouth was that encounter with God at Lot's. But since that dream, until he was 140 years old, even though Jacob has personally encountered God, Jacob by no means was a perfect man. He was not. For 100 and I don't know, what is it, 23 years of his life, he wasn't a perfect man. Jacob's number one problem, his, his, his Achilles heels, his always number one problem was he always tended to trust in his cleverness rather than depending on God. Jacob thought he was a pretty clever dude. So Jacob was a guy who planned rather than prayed. You see more of Jacob planning and scheming rather than praying. He wasn't a perfect dude. He always tried to like scheme his way to the best situation. Even after he encountered God, Jacob was always a schemer rather than a prayer. -er. Jacob was not only a schemer, Jacob was like, he committed great sin, right? And one of the chief sins that he committed was he was a really bad dad, right? Like, you're not supposed to have favorites, parents. You know, you do. You know you do. Come on, parents. You know you do. Come talk to me who your favorite is, right? I'll protect you. Attorney client privilege, right? But you have your favorites. But you're not supposed to show your favorites. But good old Jake showed favoritism towards Joseph. Good old Jake, showed, he had two wives, Leah and Rachel. He loved the beautiful Rachel more than the not so pretty Leah. And Leah suffered, Leah lived a life of perpetual rejection in this world. Jake preferred, so he broke a woman's heart all her life because she wasn't much to look at, that pig. Not only that, Jake preferred Joseph over all his sons to the point where his sons tried to murder Joseph. Favoritism breeds envy and jealousy, and envy and jealousy breeds murder. Jake was not a perfect guy. Look, guys, your sins and my sins, I'm talking to a lot of people, and your sins and my sins, it doesn't just 
just, it does not, it's not just self-contained. It like, it affects everything. And you're kind of messed up and I'm messed up because our forefathers have messed up and it's all like this complex web of pain. Dude, I had a dinner with somebody a couple of weeks ago, not anyone here, so, and I heard two hours of just this pain. Sin causes so much pain. And good old Jake was personally responsible for causing so much pain in his family's life. Good old Jake, he was a schemer, he was a sinner. Little Jake also experienced heartbreak. Even in these verses, at the end of his life, he mentions his death of his wife, Rachel. Even in the last moments of his life, he remembers Rachel and about how she died. Even until the day he dies, he missed her. He could never get over losing the love of his life. When his boys lied to him and said Joseph was dead for 20 years, good old Jake lived with a broken heart, missing his son every day of his life. These all happened after he, his encounter with God. He wasn't perfect. He didn't live a perfect life. He didn't live a carefree life. The forefather of a new humanity God designated, he didn't live a trouble-free, sinless life. He lived a heartbreaking heart. He broke so many people's hearts. He was heartbroken. It was a complex, sad life. But Jacob, is it, what is it? In verse 15, is it? Is it verse 15? Please say it's verse 15. Is it? I forget what verse it is. Um, verse 15, I'm right. Original. Always trust your guts. Trust your gut, kids. Verse 15, Jacob says, God has been his shepherd all his life. Despite his mistakes, despite his son sinning against him, despite the heartbreaking tragedies of his life, Jacob at his deathbed, when he had, when he had a macroscopic view of his life, he realized every single moment God shepherded him. Death of Rachel, God was shepherding him. In the midst of his sins, God was shepherding him. In the 20 years where he thought Joseph was dead, God was shepherding him. He said, all my life, for the last 140 years, God shepherded me. This is a very important truth that I want to tell you. Life is incredibly painful. 
you know it's true. My daughter, this past weekend, they started to experience heartbreak. I can't tell you exactly what it is because, you know, I'm a good dad. But I was there just consoling my daughter. We watched a Hallmark movie to console her. You know how dumb Hallmark Christmas movies are? But I did it because I could see heartbreak in my daughter. And there are many more heartbreaks for her to come, right? And your sin, and you keep on sinning like I keep on sinning. And your sin and my sin will keep on hurting people around us. And people will sin against you. And you'll feel so much pain. Right now, as I'm preaching to you, I'm in so much pain. I wish I could share it to you, but I can't. Right now, as I'm standing before you, I'm in so much pain. But Jacob's life says, even in all those moments, God's shepherding does not stop. Even though my heart is breaking right now, I know his shepherding in my life is not stopping. Because I'm, I'm sure, and you be too, when you look back in your, when you look back when you're old, when, right before your death, when you look back, you'll see it clearly how God has shepherded you every moment of your life. Despite your pain. This doctrine is called the doctrine of the perseverance of saints. I love this doctrine. Perseverance of saints, this is the, this is the doctrine, this is the doctrine in summary. Perseverance of saints is, means, according to Calvinists, because God has drawn the elect to faith in Christ by regeneration. Their hearts, God has regenerated the Christian's heart and convinced them of their sins and thus saving their souls, right, right by his own work and power, for whom God has saved through his power. God will keep them. God will protect them and provide for them all the remainder of their, of their lives here so that they will not fall away. This doctrine means this. For those whom God has saved, he will continually provide his power in your life to prevent you from falling away. Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 27, 29 says, My sheep hear my, wo my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. If you are saved, you're saved because God the Father gave you to Jesus Christ. And if God the Father gave you to Jesus Christ to save, no one and nothing can snatch you out of Jesus' hands. That's the promise. Even if you feel that your life is being destroyed right now, even if you're lose, you feel like you're losing everything right now, this doctrine is saying, don't fret. Nothing can take you out of Jesus' hands. He will make sure that you will last until the end. And the question is, how do you know that you're saved? How, you, how do you know you are the person whom God has given to Jesus Christ? One way of thinking about salvation is you need to think about, really, what narrative do you live by? There is a story in everyone's head that they live by. There is a script that everyone has in their heads of what they think life is. Being a follower of Christ means you're embracing that your narrative, the, the narrative that you think is true, is the gospel. That's really how, what life is. In your mind, you know you're saved. Really, if you know from your mind, that if you're convinced in your mind, that the narrative story of the gospel is the true narrative of life. And not other narratives. The, the Christian philosopher, Jonathan Pagel, says this. The meaning of life is the gospel. Before the foundation of the world, God created the universe so that, so that the universe will realize the gospel. The gospel is this. God the Father, the source of all things, made all things, including human beings. When human beings fall away, they die. Spiritually, mentally, psychologically, and physically, they die. But in Christ, things are renewed and reborn. Through the sacrifice of Christ, people who are dead mentally, spiritually, and psychologically, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, begin to live again. That's the defining narrative of the gospel. Another narrative of the world is materialism. Materialism is not thinking that money makes you happiness. That's what materialistic philosophy is. Materialistic philosophy is you think what is real and true is what you can see and experience. You're saying there is nothing else in this world besides what you can see and hear and feel and touch. That's what you think reality is. That's materialistic philosophy.
rest of the world thinks the world is basically how they perceive it to be. If you belong to Christ, you really do start to see life through the lens of gospel. God, apart from God, death, in Christ, life. That is how you know whether you're a Christian. Is that the narrative that defines how you live your life? If it is, Jesus is saying, nothing can snatch you out of God's hand. Let's say someone wronged you, because people wrong us all the time. If you think, if you believe the gospel is the narrative, the meaning of life, even though you may not like it, you will strive to forgive and love, because that's how you define life. Right? But if you're a materialist, if someone wronged you, because all you see, all what is important to you is how you, what you see, feel, and touch, you're not going to be able to forgive that person. But if you be so focused on how that person made you feel, you know what narrative that you embrace when you're wronged. What is the narrative that you embrace? Truly, in the everyday things of life, do you embrace God as the meaning of all things? Or do you embrace things that you can see, feel, and touch as the meaning of all things? What is it? If you know that the gospel is the narrative, the meta-narrative, as the philosophers would say, the narrative beyond all narrative, is that's what you think life is, Praise the Lord, you belong to him. And if you belong to him, nothing can snatch you out of God's hands. He will keep on shepherding you. He will keep on providing his power to you. He will. Just like Jacob realized at the end of his life. But if you don't embrace this narrative, my dear church friends, if you, if you don't embrace this narrative of the gospel, eventually you will fall away. John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, he says, they, I mean, people who were once Christians, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have, they would have continued with us. James is, John is talking about people who once professed faith in Christ, but who fell away. And he's saying they fell away because they never really embraced the narrative of the gospel. You can come to church, you can be a self-described Christian, but my dear friends, if materialism is the primary doctrine in which you live by, you will fall away. Because mere church attendance is not strong enough to destroy what you think the narrative really is. You know why people fall away after COVID? Can I be honest with you? Because they really haven't really embraced the narrative of the gospel. Their worldview 
still remains materialist. But if you belong to God, every single moment of your life, God will shepherd you for his own good and for your good. That's what Paul means in verse Romans chapter 8. He says, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those whom he has called. Paul is saying, if you are truly a Christian, even before the foundation of the world, God has planned out so that everything in this world will, God will use for your good. Even the bad things, dare I say, even your sins, if you belong to him, God will shepherd you so that a good, a perfect good will come out of those things for you. In all things, whether it's evil that people do to you, maybe, or it's evil that you did to others, or maybe it is this heartbreaking sorrow that you experience, or this crazy success you may have in this world, God says, if you belong to him, nothing can snatch you out of his hand, and he will use all things to bring about good for your life. Jacob at his deathbed, when he looked at his life, I think that's what he saw. The death of Rachel, the possible, him thinking that Joseph was dead for 20 years, this nasty thing he's done towards his brother Esau, and the nasty thing he has done to Leah, his wife. Every part of it, God was shepherding him for his good. My dear friends, this will happen. God will lead you to glory. It's a done deal. Look, I wish Sean Stark was here. He would really appreciate this. Sometimes we doubt whether God's for you because we think there's a delay. There's a promises of God that says he'll shepherd you and he will, he will never snatch you out of his hand. There's this promise, but we don't feel this promise because we don't see it happen immediately. Right? Look, look. My wife drives a fancy car, right? And her fancy car, and maybe your fancy cars too. Like, if I, even if I, like, if I go over the medium a little bit, the line, it vibrates. Right? It vibrates. Stay along your line. I go, how do you see that? If I'm too close to a car in front of me, it automatically breaks. It course corrects all the time, immediately. My car doesn't do that because I'm a real man. Real men don't need course correction, right? Right? Real men just, you know, we, we drive by our feelings, right? But less men drive fancy cars that need auto-correction all the time. We want God to auto-correct us all the time. We don't like that there's a delay. 
God says he will be with us. God says he will shepherd us. God says he will love us. But yet, in this time and space, we don't feel it. What's up with that? Two things to keep in mind. Number one, from God's perspective, what he says, from God's perspective, because God is beyond time and space, what he says and what he does happen simultaneously. Time and space. Time and space only exists between objects. Time and space is a relative term between objects. God is beyond. God is spirit. He's not an object. So time and space doesn't apply to him. From his perspective, what he says and what he does happen simultaneously. When he saved you, he also, he also like, pulled you to glory. It's, it happens simultaneously. If you belong to him, your glory is a done deal. It is. Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are seated at the right hand of Christ. How is that so if we're still here? What Paul means is when Christ saved you, him saving you and raising you to glory happens simultaneously. If you belong to him, your glory is a done deal. It's a done deal. But we live in this time and space. So we see things, there seems to be a delay. Things happen in a more slower way because we live in time and space. Have you seen X-Men, Days of Future Past, or the Flash, Justice League? When Flash or Quicksilver runs really fast, relative to him, people are so slow. For the Flash and Quicksilver, things happen naturally. It just happens at the same time. But from the people's point of view, like from his, from, from his perspective, other people are super slow. From God's perspective, things already happen. You're already glorified. But from our, our perspective, because we live in time and space, Things appear slower than they are. Take comfort. If you belong to him, you're already glorified. Glory is waiting for you. Even in this time and space, it may be stinky for you and hard for you and difficult for you. Have hope that it's a done deal. That's the secret of Paul's ministry. Paul says, there's a glory that is waiting for me that surpasses all the suffering that he glows, goes in this time and space. He says, I run for that glory. Praise the Lord. I know you're hurting. I know you're confused. I know you want things. I know. But if you belong to him, glory is yours. What do we do at our time and space now? Yes, glories are cheap, but we live in this time and space. And in time and space, just as Joseph, we suffer sin. We sin. Other people sin against us. 
what we want never really happens. We're in, we lose people and we lose things. And we're in so much pain. Why does God allow this? Why does God allow us to live in this time and space? It's because he wants us to experience his shepherding power in our lives. While we wait for glory to be revealed in this time and space, through the various sufferings and difficulties, we experience God's shepherding. This week is a strange week for me. I'm in so much pain. And yet, I know God is leading me. It's a, I never experienced this before. You know, we think if you're a Christian, you'll feel peace all the time. What I discovered, I'm, I'm at another level of Christianity now. You can feel suffering and still feel led by God. It's a strange feeling. And I hope you, you know what I'm talking about one day, Right? But that's what I'm going through. Right now, I'm crying inside, and yet I'm so confidently praising you. It's not praising God. It's not because I'm a hypocrite. But I know despite even the pain, God is shepherding me. And I'm constantly experiencing shepherding power in my life. He does that to you. Guys, let's be honest. Yo, let's be honest. We're not going to get what we want in this world. We're not. We're not. Look at the people of the Bible. Abraham, God told Abraham, Abraham, I called you out of your father's land. Leave your security. Follow me. I will make you into a great nation. Go to a nation that you've never been before, and I will make you into a great nation. Abraham said, hot dog, I'll go. And he went. Abraham died before his children he had, what, two kids or something? He didn't see his descendants becoming father. Of great, he didn't see his descendants becoming a great nation when he died. God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abraham died without seeing that coming true. God says, Moses, lead my people to the promised land. Moses says, hot dog, I'll do it. And he goes. Moses leads his people for 40 years. Moses dies before going into, the, going into the promised land. God says, but didn't God say, I will lead you to a promised land? Yeah, but Moses died before going to the promised land. What's up with that? Let's talk about Peter and Paul. Paul, who wrote, what, a third or, or like a third of the Bible? What did Paul, what did Paul get? He got his head chopped off. What did Peter get? He was crucified upside down on a cross. Besides for a handful of people, maybe David and Job, no one gets what they think that, no one gets a happy ending in this world. No Bible hero gets it in this world. Look at our Lord Jesus Christ. He died on a cross where God poured his wrath on him, and he died in this world. 
Let's be mature Christians, shall we? You're not going to get what you want. Last year, 4,700 Christians died. 4,700 people, Christians, died because of their faith. These people professed faith in Jesus Christ, and their profession got them killed. You have this idea of what you think you need and you want, and you, right, what you deserve. Maybe you're not going to get it. And even if you do get it, you'll realize it ain't worth that much. Heartbreak. As Elvis Presley says, heartbreak hotel. Does that mean God is not faithful to you? Does it mean that he doesn't love you? Look, I love embrace. And I wish to God, our, my dream is to die preaching to you. My, my retirement plan is I die of a heart attack on a Sunday preaching to you. I would, love to, I, would, I would love to die like that. Right? That's the only way to go. Right? We have a nurse. Rebecca, don't resuscitate me. Right? Don't hold me back from glory. Right? But maybe... We're not going to exist next year. I'm not saying we're not. But maybe I'll never get, maybe I'll never die preaching to you. Maybe I'll never see Hyo Jr. getting married. Does it mean God is not faithful to me? Of course that doesn't mean that. Because even though I may not get what I want here, his shepherding in my life will not stop. It will not stop until the day that I die. He will constantly shepherd me until I receive glory. And I know that I will receive glory. I may not get glory in this world. I may not get what I want. But I will get his shepherding in this world. I will, because I'm getting it now. And I will get glory. These are the two promises that sustains the Christian. Look, one of my wife's best friends, he's like a world, like a career renowned architect. He has a YouTube channel. He has like 500,000 followers, right? And he talks about architecture. Smart guy. Got a master's and PhD from Harvard and MIT. Smart guy. Top architect. And he was sharing his faith. He says, I was, when I was a, a teenager in high school, I'm sorry, in college, I doubted, I, I, I had crisis. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to quit being an architect, but I prayed to God at a retreat, and it seems like at a retreat, God seems to have answered my prayers, he said. And it is that experience that sustained me in my various trials at school. But he realized, he says, that prayer was an immature prayer, because that prayer was really about God helping him realize his dreams. It was never really tied to God, he says. 
That was a foolish prayer, he says. Because it wasn't tied to God and his promises. It was tied only to his desires. We don't use God to fulfill our desires. We are tied to the hope of future glory. And this real shepherding in our lives, that's the Christian hope. Do you understand? Look, go quickly. I'll end in three minutes. The rest of the chapter is about Jacob adopting Joseph's two children. Joseph has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph adopts his grand, I'm sorry, Jacob adopts his grandchildren as his own child. Right? He says, Joe, he says, your children will be my children. I'm going to treat them as Reuben and Simeon, who are, Joseph's, who are Jacob's direct children. He adopts Joseph's children as his own. Why did Jacob do this? He did this so that he can give his, their, his blessings, his inheritance, directly to Joseph's children. Because his, the father can only give direct inheritance to his sons. And in order for Joseph's sons to receive Jacob's blessing, they needed, to be his, they needed to be his children. Are you with me so far? So Jacob adopts Joseph's sons as his own to bless them and give them inheritance. Let's think about the land that Jacob is giving to his, children, his sons. What is the land that he's promising? What is the current condition of the land? The land that he's giving them is a land that's barren and dry and dead because of the famine, right? So did Jacob adopt these two children so that he could give a worthless land to them? Does it make sense? I'm going to adopt you so that I'm going to give you a really stinky land. No! Jacob was sure that God was going to make his descendants into a great nation, and he's giving a portion of that great nation to Joseph's children. Jacob's vision was beyond what he currently had. Jacob was giving future glory to, to Joseph's children. Do you understand? Jacob was not giving the current condition of the land. Jacob was giving future glorious kingdom to his children. God is not interested in giving whatever this land is to you. He's not really interested. Maybe he is. I don't know. But his ultimate plan for you is not for you to live in a house in Great Falls. It's not so that you can drive whatever you want to drive, whatever. But his ultimate purpose for you is to give you a glorious kingdom. And he's going to use everything in your life to bring you into that kingdom. Christian hope is tied to that kingdom. You need to hold on to the promises of the kingdom and the real ways that he shepherds his flock, especially when you're going through difficulties. There are moments in your life, unfortunately, where you feel that you're going to die. 
Right now, I feel I'm going to die. And my only hope is the belief that God is shepherding me. And my only hope is that I'm going to get glory. And that gives me such comfort. And that will give you so much comfort. Let's pray.